Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Well, welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm so excited to be sitting here. And actually, I'm going to say I'm honored to be sitting here with Kristen Welch. And if you don't know Kristen, I'm going to get her to introduce herself um, a little bit more in just a bit. But she's actually the author of three books, um, Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World, Raising World Changers in a Changing World, and Made to Move Mountains, How God Uses Dreams and Disasters to Accomplish the impossible. Kristen, can you share a little bit more about who you are, where you are in the world, and um, what you're all about? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, I'm a wife and mom and a writer. I've been blogging uh, for about 12 or 13 years now, Um, written some books, and uh, raising three uh, great kids with my husband of 25 years. We uh, live in north of Houston, Texas, in a little town called Magnolia. Mm-hmm. And um, about 10 years ago, actually 10 years this year, we started a nonprofit together called Mercy House Global. Mm-hmm. And that has become my day job. So that's what I spend most of my time doing. And then I, most of my writing is reflective of what I'm learning on that journey. Awesome. So you started blogging. Um, you said about 12 to 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then from that, I mean, it's funny because I'm sure when you, the day you were like, I want to start a blog, you probably you had no idea what that would begin to open yeah. in your life. Um, so tell me how, just from that moment, starting to blog, what um, was that journey to starting Mercy House? Yeah, it was definitely unexpected. Um, I have always loved writing. And really at the time I started a blog, my youngest child, who's now 13, was just a one-year-old. And I uh, was a frustrated writer. From the time I was an eighth grader on, I wanted to be a writer. But um, getting published is a difficult journey sometimes. And blogging was a brand new, um, really, avenue for self-publishing back then. And so I just decided in a rebellious move, I'm going to publish myself. And so I started blogging, um, not knowing of course where that would lead, but it did lead to a book contract a few years in. And, um, I've actually written five books total. And so that, um, just became this great journey for me. Um, a few years into blogging, I was actually invited by compassion international to go on a blogging trip. This was in uh, the end of 2009. And so at the time, um, that was a new idea to take influencers into third world countries, expose them to poverty so that they could um, really educate their audience about uh, the global um, South and North and, you know, the comparison between the two. And uh, so that at the time, that was the biggest yes of my life. I said yes to a trip to Nairobi, Kenya in 2010 um, with Compassion International. 
And I knew that that trip would change my life. I, I had no idea how much it would change my life, um, that it would literally reset the course of my life and my family's life. Um, and I don't think it was a, a magic formula or this um, cataclysmic opportunity. I think it was just God's timing of where I was spiritually and um, maybe where I wasn't what spiritually where I was, where I needed to be. Um, but it was just this collision of really my faith and what, what God wanted me to do. And really I had, I think I was just a very comfortable Christian um, that hadn't done anything risky um, or really anything super obedient. Um, and I just woke up in a slum in Kenya and wanted my life to make a difference. And so um, a lot of crazy things happened, but mostly I just said yes to God. And that yes um, led our family to start um, this nonprofit that we work at now. So tell me a little bit about um, who you were before. Because like you said, you're like, I was just mm -hmm. kind of going along, um, not necessarily super obedient, but um, I've heard you say like full of faith. Like I'm, I'm a Christian I'm a believer, yeah. but maybe um, what, give us a snapshot of what your life looks like. Yeah. I mean, I was um, living the American dream um, and proud of it. <laughs> there was no, I, I don't think I understood where my emptiness came from, mm. but I was an empty follower of Christ. Mm. So I had grown up um, in church and done all the Bethmore Bible studies and had my preset on my radio to the local Christian station and had Christian t-shirts and we went to church every Sunday. I mean, no, we just lived what a Christian looks like, but, um, I was empty. Yeah. And so I would drop my kids off at preschool and I would go shop yeah. and two days a week, you know, that was my, I had nothing else to do. And so really I was bored. Also, I lacked purpose. Um, I was a good person, a good mom and a good wife. You know, I wasn't doing anything that you would consider bad or wrong. Um, but I was not fulfilled. Yeah. And I don't think you have to go to a trip to Africa to find fulfillment, but sometimes God has to get you out of your comfort zone. And that could be next to an ICU bed or in a difficult financial situation or a crumbling marriage. I mean, he uses everything to redeem us. Yeah. He used a trip to Kenya for me. And I, um, I think it was just this collision of everything I thought I knew about God, all those scriptures I had learned as a kid, the songs, how Jesus loves all the children of the world. Um, everything collided with who I thought I knew God was and who I thought I was with the third world. Yeah. And it was really hard for me to reconcile that picture of Jesus that I had created, which really equated to a comfortable life for me yeah. and no suffering and um, lack of purpose really to the one that I met in the slum in Kenya that showed me people who had so little, but they had something I didn't have. And that was just utter joy yeah. and fulfillment. 
And so it was really this clash of, of everything for me. And I feel like looking back, I just, I woke up Mm -hmm. like I had been asleep for a long time and I asked God how he could allow so much human suffering. Um, And I was standing in a slum in Kenya, the world's largest slum now. I was learning all of these new vocabulary words like survival prostitutes, young girls, you know, 12, 13 years old. I was meeting orphans who lived in homes called orphan-led homes, which meant they didn't have parents. They were the parent to their younger siblings. I mean, it was just this whole new vocabulary. Um, Every sense was attacked by... um, poverty, just what I saw, what I smelled, what I tasted, what I felt. And I was mad at God. Mm -hmm. And that was something that really surprised me. Um, Just overwhelming anger that God could allow so much suffering. And so I remember standing in that slum with my fist clench. I, I was crying. I didn't even realize I was crying, you know, just so overwhelmed. And I asked God how he could allow so much human suffering. And the minute I asked that question, he asked me the same question and everything changed for me in that moment. When he said, Kristen, now that you've seen how the rest of the world lives, it needs to impact how you live. Your normal isn't the same as the world's normal. And I decided in that moment I didn't want to be the same person anymore. There was something for me to do. And I've been trying to um, follow in that long, slow obedience ever since um, saying yes to where God leads me. And um, it's really amazing. My life has changed a lot. My marriage, my parenting, my writing. I mean, everything about my life, my job, everything has changed. Um, And it's, it's harder in a lot of ways. You know, there are moments, especially when it's really challenging that I miss that woman who didn't know who had the blinders on. I mean, that's just honest, right? You know, once you know, we're responsible, but I have more purpose and more joy than I've ever had in my life. And that makes me, I would say yes again, because of that, because I think life is a lot harder and a lot, a lot longer if we don't have purpose mm-hmm. and if we don't have joy. And so I don't have all the answers still, but I have the two things that I was really lacking. Yeah. Um, there is so, so much I can unpack from that. Thank you for sharing. Um, you know, and I think so much of what you said will resonate so, so deeply um, as you know, that is the picture that you painted of who you were is the picture of so many of us living in the Western world. It's, um, I know for myself, my kid free time always just included shopping because what, Mm -hmm. what else would I do? It was like, Oh, I don't have my kids. I'm going to browse. I'm going to shop and do something. Mm -hmm. And for myself, when I had that, I share a similar expression of feeling like I woke up and I didn't even realize I had been sleeping through my life, mm-hmm. lacking purpose and joy, looking for it in a store or in more right. stuff or mm-hmm. um, in an identity, being a mom or something else. 
Right. Um, and then it was in the surrender, being with mm-hmm. him, hearing his voice. Like you said, that moment where really God met your question with that question saying, how are you allowing this? And that moment where you kind of woke up, um, I really appreciated how you shared it's, it's not that we're all going to find that moment standing in a slum. We, but we will find that moment in our lives, in that intersection where God is meeting us, where we are. And I think, you know, if you're a woman listening right now and you feel like my heart is beating really fast, I feel like there's something God is stirring in me. Um, often we actually, we numb ourselves to those things he's trying to bring up in us or we escape, right? We have so many means of, again, whether it's the shopping or the social media or eating or drinking or any of those things. Um, And I do find it is those moments where we get away with him. So for Kristen, it was getting away into Africa. Um, But for some of us, it is getting away into that place of um, a pain in our lives or a relationship or something where God is stirring something um, in us. There is, there was a ton, um, you shared there. And I think I wanted to just make sure I emphasize that point that you shared of, um, for each of us, God has those unique intersections, right? So we can easily hear your story and say, oh, that's nice for her. Um, and yet still go about our day feeling just as purposeless and joyless. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating because, um, I think there had been many points up until that moment where I had had an opportunity to make that same decision, Mm -hmm. to respond in a way that brought me purpose and joy. And I don't know if I recognized it until after I had actually followed through. Um, but doing nothing at a crossroads is still a response. And I remember getting ready to leave Kenya after almost three weeks there and going back to my young family and just crying out and saying, I don't want to do nothing again. I want to respond. And I think I realized that all those times where I'd stood at a crossroads before my response had been to be the same person. And um, it was interesting because my husband didn't go to Kenya and um, we, we still started a nonprofit together and he's been the CEO for seven years now and his life changed too. And I've had so many women over the last decade ask how in the world did you get your husband on the same page with you? I mean, it, it does seem kind of crazy. Um, and I've really peeled back the layers of that question and realized God didn't have to take my husband to Kenya to get him to say yes. Right. And it's just further proof for me that he takes us all on individual journeys and he gets our attention in a way that gets our attention. So true. And so, you know, you might be listening and think I would never go on a trip like that, or I don't have the opportunity. And, um, but God will interrupt your story where he wants to interrupt your story in a way that gets your attention. And why do you think sometimes when there are those nudges or he's trying to get attention, why do you think sometimes we, we don't lean in, we don't obey? Like, what do you think are the things that kind of keep Uh, us? Well, for me, um, fear is a huge component and pride. Mm. Um, 
thinking I have it figured out. Um, when I started blogging, I had actually made a list of goals. And one of those was to get a book published. And one was to be invited on one of these blogging trips. Mm. Um, I, at the time, my ultimate goal was to be known. Like if you peeled back everything, you would have seen pride. Yeah. And so my heart probably wasn't even in the right place. Um, but in that quest to be known and getting that invitation, I told them no the first time they asked. And I remember that night at dinner, I casually dropped this bomb, you know, at dinner. I'm like, by the way, I was invited to go to Africa today, but I told him no. And my husband was like, what? Why? I mean, he was just so irritated. He was like, that's been a dream of yours. Why would, I mean, my gut reaction was no, I can't do that. Even though I think I just wanted to be asked, right? Like that's, there's something there that's not healthy. Um, but I told him, I said no, because, and then I filled in the blank, right? I have a two-year-old, all these excuses. Um, and he pushed me to truth. And he was like, I want you to tell me why you really said no. And when I just paused and I got tears in my eyes, you know, when I responded and I said, because I'm afraid it will change my life. Um, I was afraid that God was going to ask me to do something that I couldn't do. And in some ways that was a valid fear (laughs) because every day I feel like he asked me to do something that I can't, or I don't know how to do, but that's also where the adventure and the trust and the most appealing part of my life comes into play because I can do some things on my own, but I can't do what God wants me to do on my own. And that space between me and what God wants me to do is the size of Jesus. You know, I I need him. Uh, I need to be desperate for him to actually walk in obedience. And I think my initial gut reaction was to say no, because as humans, we like what we know. We don't like change. We like comfort, even in our misery, even when we don't love who we are, it's a known. And so that was a big part. I mean, I was 37 years old when I was invited to go to Kenya and that's not old, but I had already lived a good amount of time where I change was already something that scared me. And, um, so yeah, I think we say no for a lot of reasons. Um, I really like how there's this one part in the book where you talk about just wanting an easy year. And I think if there's any ever time that everybody can relate, it's right now that we're like, come on, like 2020 was supposed (laughs) to be my year. Um, And I just like how um, he shares with you, um, you know, I think God uses these hardships to teach us lessons we can't learn any other way. And I read that and I like, I was pulling out my highlighter and I was like, yes, that those are the moments we look back on and we go, oh, and you know, when we have that, um, rear view look, we can see, okay, I can see how I needed that. Like I needed, um, you to wake me up in this way or get my attention in this way or change me in this Mm -hmm. way, which is so, um, so not fun to, to be, 
um, refined by God. And you talk about that, this in the book where it's like, you know, it's, it's not just the mountains of our dreams. It's actually the mountains that are hard. Um, and so tell me a little about, about the desire for an easy year, um, and Mm -hmm. how you've been able to use those difficult mountains in your life. Yeah, it's, I'll never forget that night. And it's kind of ironic that I wrote this book in 2019, thinking that was a hard year. 2018, 19 were tough years for our family, not knowing it was going to come out 10 days before the world was given a global pandemic. So I think that's ironic that um, 2020 has definitely not been easy for anyone. Um, But I think in our our humanity, it's just a normal reaction to pain and difficulty, right? Just to want something easy. And um, I remember waking my husband up, like, I have to say this, like, I have to get this off my chest. And I wanted the response we all want. When we say something like that, what we want is you deserve an easy year. You know, you've earned it. And Um, my husband was really quiet and he said the exact opposite that we have chosen to make our lives difficult to ease the lives of others. And really what you're asking for is not the gospel. It's not what Jesus has for us. And I was mad at him and rolled over the other way. Um, but God really used that to speak to me because I think somewhere along the way with our convenient filtered world, we have believed this lie that there won't be suffering as a Christian. There won't be hard mountains to climb. I mean, if we're doing what's right and we're really being good people and we love Jesus and like Christianity is this smooth path and it's just not, it's, there's nothing about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus that is easy. And I I think there are still seasons of rest and respite that we have to take and that we need um, so that we can endure the difficulties. But um, when I started to write this book, I thought the whole book was going to be about the mountains that we want to climb, the dreams, like whatever that is for you, fill in the blank, you know, because everyone has different dreams. But I feel like dreams that glorify God further his kingdom. And so I personally believe he has something for every one of us to do and it looks different for each person and it's based on our, our skills and our passion and his timing. And so I imagined that it would be like this big cheerleading, go you, you can do hard things. And, um, and then early into writing the book, a mountain showed up in my family's path that we didn't choose and just the health problem with one of our kids and, it was just this very clear picture that that is how life is, mm-hmm. right? Some mountains we choose and we are so excited about them, a small business, a graduate degree, um, becoming a mom, whatever it is, right? Things that are just a beautiful part of our story. They're not perfect, but they're challenges that we gladly accept, mm-hmm. but that's not how real life is all the time. There are also mountains that God puts in our path that we would never choose. And I think he's glorified in both of them. 
And he teaches us so much in, in both kinds of mountains, the ones that really knock us flat on our back and the ones that um, thrill us to our toes. Like the, he's, he's in the middle of all of them. And that's definitely just been part of my journey. And, um, and then 2020 happened <laughs> and uh, it has certainly been unexpected for every one, I think in the, on the planet. Um, but I also feel like obviously God is still in control yeah. and he's still writing our stories and he's using this unprecedented time of angst. I mean, that's the only way I can really describe what I feel in my gut is just angst for our, our country and our world um, to draw us closer to him yeah. and to reveal himself to us. And I just yesterday, I shared a story, little story on Facebook and about my kids and just seeing something so special in my home, just a moment, you know, of I'm so thankful mm -hmm. for this opportunity. Some of the things that I'm experiencing right now, I wouldn't have if we weren't forced to slow down and to find the rainbows in the rain. And so, um, yeah, I'm thankful for both kinds of mountains. I really appreciate your, um, transparency, um, both in the book and online and how you just share, uh, about the difficult things and about how, um, you know, you don't necessarily feel adequate or prepared or equipped to do this work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really think as you share those things, it gives other people permission to begin to step forward into the things they're called to, the things they're, um, scared to go forward in. And I really appreciate that you were saying, you know, this idea of waking up and then responding. And I think that's actually one of the things that is happening right now, um, that people mm -hmm. are waking up to various things like, um, just the injustice that's been going on in terms mm -hmm. of race. And one of the things that really has gotten me in this season is just this idea of, um, when people are saying, you know, you may not be racist, but are you anti-racist? And this concept mm -hmm. of like, have you just kind of ignored things that have gone on or have right, you actually stepped right. in? And so that has been a challenge. And I think that can actually come in various areas. When I, when I'm aware of poverty, like I had not heard those two phrases you shared earlier, the survival prostitution or the orphan led homes. And it's like, when I become aware, do I just say, wow, and then move about my day mm -hmm. or does it call me to something more? And so I think that's part of where I think people are, are beginning to wake up and are beginning to realize, Hey, maybe I actually, maybe this thing that's stirring in my heart is actually a call to respond. Maybe it is a call to obedience. Um, and I wonder for the women who are listening, who are feeling like, yeah, I do feel like some things are being stirred up in me. Um, but things, maybe I have these big ideas or have these dreams and it feels overwhelming or I feel inadequate. Can you just share a little bit with me about how you kind of started responding in, in little ways? Mm -hmm. You know, I love what you just said about waking up and, and embracing things we might not have ever thought about before, just truth. And, um, I've really been 
studying and reading the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. And I just think what Jesus gave us in Matthew 5 is instruction for living. And it's so timely for what our world is facing right now about being blessed. And, you know, we call ourselves blessed in America, Mm -hmm. right? We hashtag it and put it on our walls and um, we're blessed. And I wrote years ago that I felt like God revealed to me that blessing, we can only call ourselves blessed when we share what we've been given. If we keep it to ourselves, we're really just selfish. But hashtag selfish doesn't look quite as good on our wall or crocheted or embroidered. Um, But as I've been um, listening to the world, and the outcry for justice. And I cared about justice for, I mean, really cared about it for 10 years and, and allowed it to determine my everyday steps um, and how what women in poverty around the world or oppression want more than anything is they want justice um, for their children, for um, their work. They want justice. And we take that for granted a lot of times, especially if you're white in America. Yeah. Uh, because it's been something we, we've taken for granted. And I was reading in Matthew chapter five and verse seven, and I, I like the message translation just for devotional reading, but each verse is like, you're blessed when you do this, you're blessed when you do that. But verse seven says, you're blessed when you care at the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. And I feel like that's where we start. Yeah. I don't have the answers for racial reconciliation in my country. I don't have the answers for injustice among the women that we work to empower with dignified jobs, but I can care. I can start there. I can care about these new vocabulary words. What is an orphan led home or a survival prostitute? I can care about my purchases and how, Sometimes what I buy, it might hurt people unknowingly. And so if I buy things that help people, I'm showing that I care for them. And I don't know when caring became so controversial, right? Mm. Um, I care about a dog that was hit in the street. I should care about a brother or sister created in God's image who is suffering, even if I don't understand their suffering. Even if I haven't suffered like they have. I can mourn with those who mourn. Mm -hmm. I can weep with those who weep. I can rejoice with those who rejoice because that's what caring is. And I think that's where we start. I feel like that's what we need most in our world right now is this position of caring for those who are crying out to be cared for. And that has revolutionized my life. Um, There are people in every corner of our life who simply need to be cared for. And they might be a, an elderly neighbor, a single mom. And you know that the sky's the limit, right? There are days that I want to be cared for. Um, But here we have a promise that says you're blessed when you care. And at the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. And so when we care about other people, somehow in God's sovereignty and in the love of Jesus, he cares for us and takes care of our needs and sends people to care for us. And I know that that's not very tangible, but I believe that small yeses change the world. And I had no idea 10 years ago saying yes to that trip 
would change the trajectory of my life or that um, saying yes to helping girls in Kenya, which is really what I said yes to, even if it was just one girl, like that's, you know, Jesus, show me who she is. That's what, that was my initial yes. I didn't know that a lot of people would join me in saying yes and that we would have this movement of yes sayers that are impacting women around the world because we don't know what God's going to do with it. I think one of my favorite Bible verse, Bible stories is um, the little boy with his lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the picture that Jesus gives us of having something really small in our hands that isn't enough, but when we offer it sacrificially, he blesses it and does the miraculous with it. And I think, you know, for whoever's listening today, you might say, I don't have much in my hands, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are days I feel that way. I'm stuck at home. My son actually the other day referred to our house as a prison <laughs> because we haven't left. And I think he was referring more to the lack of freedom yeah. that we have felt during these lockdown months. But immediately when he had said that word, I thought of Paul. Mm-hmm who truly was in prison and had lost all of his freedom. And look what he did yeah. from a prison cell. Well, I had, right? I had this moment, I was chatting with my husband the other day and I was like, you know, when Jesus was saying like, love your neighbor, like we've mm-hmm. literally been in this place where we're, we are interacting with our neighbors in a way that we never have before because right. we're home. Mm-hmm. And I was, mm-hmm. I, as again, I'm trying to look at like the God picture in this season and then I'm thinking of, um, I went for a walk in our neighborhood and our, our neighborhood happens to be incredibly racially diverse. And I was like, Brendan, like, and everybody's friendly and they're walking. I'm like, it feels like such a warm, um, neighborhood. And again, I'm like, I feel like even with all this, um, racial injustice becoming, um, front and center in the world, again, it's like, love your neighbor, right? Like, what does mm-hmm. it look like to look at your neighbor and because I think in this season too, I've chatted with people who are like, I'm more aware of things than ever before. So I'm trying to look at people and smile. I don't want to smile too much, look crazy, but I want to be, you know, like you're trying to be so friendly. And, um, again, I was just thinking about as we talk about this idea of these, these God nudges, this obedience. Um, I even think about this one neighbor I have, um, across the way. And, um, I wrote about it in my blog. I'm not much of a blogger, but, um, how, before we moved in, her husband, his truck had rolled into our fence and had broken our fence. And so we move into our brand new house with a broken fence. And, and I talk about how this fence caused a fence in my heart and how we really mm. never, um, got to know them as neighbors. And it was really a number of years went by. And when I sort of woke up, when God was doing a work in my heart, I would walk past their house and God was just like, Hey, you need to get to know them. Like, Hey, you need to, and it was this small mm-hmm. nudge. And I was like, what do what God, like they're an elderly couple. I don't, what am I supposed to do? Bring them a meal. I've never really talked to them. And to make a long story short, um, one night he actually, um, an ambulance came to their house and he left. And so I made that walk across the street to say hi to her. And it was like this thing I had to do before I talked myself out of it. And I can right. use the excuse of I'm busy. 
I'm shy. Mm -hmm. My kids are in the backyard. You know, all of those little things. Right, right. But it was like, no, God, you've been actually putting something in my heart for a while. And so just going over and saying, hi, like, how are you doing? And her response, basically just being like, I'm lonely. I want some, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we've started this little friendship. And even yesterday, as I was standing at my kitchen sink doing dishes, and I was looking over and I was like, I need to actually be even more intentional, right? And this is, doesn't feel like changing the world, um, right. but it's, it's just. But it's changing her world. Exactly. It's just those, sometimes it's those little things and it, um, mm. we can really excuse our way out of those little nudges. And I think it's those little, like you said, those little yeses, those little acts of obedience um, yeah. that don't feel comfortable, but we know right. it's God saying, I'm, in, I'm actually inviting you into something. And I think that's what God has done for you is really invited you into this yes. incredible journey yes. um, that started with this series of yeses. Um, and I want to just wrap up, just finishing a little bit on Mercy House Global and really sort of what it is you do and how, if we're feeling this nudge to find out more about it and how we can support you. Um, can you just tell me a little bit more about what it does? Because we didn't actually cover that yet. Yes, I'm happy to. Um, we started with three maternity centers in Nairobi, Kenya, um, learning what a survival prostitute was on that first trip. I went home and couldn't stop thinking about these young girls who were being put into prostitution, um, most of them by their own family members, mm -hmm. so that they could provide food for their family. So they were prostituting for food, not money. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they were getting pregnant and the cycle of generational poverty and um, oppression was just repeating itself. And so uh, we partnered with indigenous uh, Kenyans um, who uh, we met through Compassion International. And uh, for 10 years now, they have run these maternity homes and they're the heroes on the ground. There's no, um, there's no white presence at all at Mercy House Global in Kenya. We just um, empower local people to be the heroes. Um, so those maternity homes, uh, for, for about five or six years, um, we've had about 55 uh, teenagers come into those homes between the ages of 12 and 16 who were pregnant, and they've become moms and learned how to, how to become parents. Um, we realized a couple of years in that we were um, really stepping into the problem sort of late and it was necessary, but I just ached for um, the women around the world who were falling into this river and I wanted to figure out why. Mm. And so sometimes you have to go up the river, uh, Desmond Tutu says, to find out why it's polluted. Mm. And so when we did that, we discovered that it all really boiled down to economics that um, trafficking is an undignified job. And if we replace that with a dignified job, then um, needs were met and lives were changed. And so about six years ago, we started um, really pressing into what does that look like to um, impact small communities around the world with dignified jobs. And so we began um, a really concentrated effort to grow a fair trade movement by empowering local artisans using indigenous skills that are generational, you know, weaving and ceramics and um, candle making and soap making and all the things that uh, we, we use here in America. 
Um, but doing that in small batches with groups of women around the world. And so we, we started doing that six years ago through subscription clubs called Fair Trade Friday, which is a ministry of Mercy House Global. And uh, we just opened our third retail store here in Texas. And um, so Mercy House is really, uh, if you think of a big circle where we um, are engaging in the lives of impoverished and oppressed women um, all around that circle. So we're providing jobs for their family members um, so that they won't be put back into survival prostitution. We're finding room in the market by wholesaling their products. We're connecting consumers in America and North America, Canada, different places with um, beautiful uh, heirloom items that tell a story. Um, and we're doing all of that in Jesus's name. And it's a lot of fun and a ton of work. Yeah. Um, but we sell a lot of fair trade product and that helps us um, keep these maternity homes open and uh, prevent girls hopefully from ever needing a maternity home to begin with. Well, I love that you um, not only are caring for these girls, um, but that you have gone up the river, right? You have gone to that source. And so uh, for people listening, how can they support Mercy House? Like what can we do to partner with you? Yeah, there's a lot of different options. Um, you can shop. We have a really busy, fun online store, shopmercyhouseglobal.org. You can join a subscription club. We have five different clubs mm -hmm. from candle of the month to different jewelry clubs. Um, we have a high end box um, that's actually curated by Ann Voskamp. She's been on our board cool. for a number of years. And she's Canadian, so that's fun. Yes, yeah. and she's Canadian. Um, you can uh, sponsor graduates that are leaving our maternity homes. It's like $21 a month, mm. and you get letters and pictures mm. from the girls. Um, prayer is obviously um, a huge part. There's a lot of spiritual warfare. Yeah. Um, we are um, busting through some really dark gates and places around the world, um, and Obviously, with um, 2020 and being in a global pandemic, it has been more challenging than normal. Many, many of our artisan groups are um, still on forced lockdown in their countries, uh, and they have no option to quarantine or to work from home. And so food has become, um, food security has become a huge issue in uh, India and Kenya and these huge countries where poverty is extreme. And so just supporting those efforts, we do um, food distribution in Kenya. Um, a lot of our shoppers like to buy something for themselves and then buy food for someone else. Mm -hmm. And it really, it just boils down to caring yeah. um, and sharing what we've been given. Yeah. Um, well, I really appreciate that A, you have so many different, you have so many different options. Um, but also just that you are identifying what some of the needs are even right in this moment. And so, um, yeah, I think if you are somebody listening and you're like, this is, this is something that I feel that's stirring in my heart, I would just say, uh, go check out Kristen's website. You can check her out on Instagram. Um, and you guys have a mercy house Instagram as well. Yes. Um, and <clears throat> she did mention they have this fair trade Friday box and their last one was this taco box that looked incredibly cute. Um, and so they've got fun stuff, um, but it also is making an impact. And so I know for myself, um, and I and I think 
when you first came back from Kenya, your thought was, okay, what can I cut back in my life Mm -hmm. um, to be able to give more? And um, one thing that I noticed in our um, quarantine season, I was like, oh, this is how we save money. We just don't leave the house, right? Like, and you, th- right. you think about all of the just very little purchases along the way, right? Oh, I stopped at Starbucks and I grabbed this thing. And, um, and you realize actually sometimes, um, at least we have realized in the season, how, how little we need. And again, it doesn't mean that we're not still doing things that are fun or, you know, um, being deprived in every way we've, we've had ice cream, but, um, but what are ways practically? And so when you actually look like you break your budget down, sometimes you can see, oh, there's actually been a lot of spending and, and often here's the crazy correlation is sometimes our spending is actually making us miserable because we're actually buying things that we don't need that is Mm -hmm. just kind of cluttering up our house. And so, um, I don't need to go into that anymore, but I do know that, um, there are ways to be be able to um, give. And so when we are able to kind of peel back some of those things and say, okay, how, what's one way to start? I can begin to start here. Um, and I just love that you you were like, I'm going to start by um, giving to the whim- people who are helping these women. And you discovered there weren't people helping them. And so you became the hands and feet. And so sometimes for us, those tailor-made nudges from God are just the things he wakes us up to and the places we become aware. Um, Yeah. And gifts are a great place to start. And, you know, um, I think when you turn the light on to modern day slavery and realize that so many of our purchases are actually hurting people, Mm. it is overwhelming and you are almost paralyzed. Like, what can I do? It's so hard to know. Um, if you're hurting or helping. And so we encourage people to start with gifts that you give um, because people love handmade and they love unique gifts and it's an easy place to begin. And so our subscription clubs are a good option for that because we're kind of doing the shopping for you. Yeah, I love that. Well, Kristen, I really am so honored to have you on here and um, there's so much wisdom in, this is the only book of yours I've read so far, but I'm excited to dive in to a few more. And you shared, you have five. I'm so sorry. I said three. That's okay. What, no what are the other two books I didn't mention? My first book um, is called Don't Make Me Come Up There. And it's a collection of devotions mm. that I wrote when my kids were really little. Mm. And then my second book is called Rhinestone Jesus, Saying Yes to God When Sparkly Safe Faith is No Longer Enough. And that's really my memoir mm. of starting Mercy House and really waking up. So um, a lot of what we talked about today is, is in that book. Yeah. Well, I love that. Actually, fun fact, um, I was given um, quite a few books. They just happened to come in the mail at the beginning of COVID. And um, this was one of them, your uh, Made to Move Mountains book. And I had this stack of like six books. Um, and so my five-year-old, I was like, which, which book should I read? And she grabbed yours out of the stack. And part of the reason I think is because the cover is so beautiful. It's this water, yes. watercolor mountain. And that cover was actually painted by one of the teen moms um, in the maternity homes. And she earned, my publisher paid her six <gasps> months living expenses. So that was, wow. I cried like a oh. baby when they chose that to be the cover. Um, I was hoping they would. It's just very personal yeah. and life-giving. Yeah. So when you buy that book, you are supporting a teen mom in Kenya. Well, if you talk to her, you can tell her she's very talented. I tried, <laughs> I tried watercoloring after seeing this and I was not, 
as successful. It's difficult. Uh, but I love that actually that was the first book I was really reading in the, it brought me in into this COVID season. And so um, I would encourage listeners to grab a copy of that as well. Um, and, and I'm really excited actually about your, your book on raising um, grateful kids in an entitled world. Cause man, that is something, <laughs> something we can all use. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for being here with me. I hope you guys check Kristen out and I trust this has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Thanks so much for listening today. I really am so encouraged knowing how many of you are being encouraged by this message. And if you have found it helpful, would you mind just sharing it with a friend, leaving five stars or even a review wherever you listen to po- podcasts, podcasts, keeping it super professional. Um, If you want to connect more with me, head over to Instagram, where I'm at Jacqueline.Widener. Or if you want some free resources, head over to my website at JacquelineWidener.com.